0: Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to Education Matters presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm Keith Poston. The General Assembly is considering a constitutional amendment to permanently cap income tax rates in North Carolina. If approved, it would appear on the November ballot along with other constitutional amendments being proposed this week. If approved, it would fundamentally change how future elected General Assemblies can govern. With education making it more than half of the state budget, what impact could this amendment have on the state's ability to fund public schools, community colleges, and universities? We'll discuss today with a great lineup of guests. As we do every week, before we tackle our main topic, we open with our headlines, a quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the US. As the General Assembly's short session nears an end, the pace has been frenetic as new bills are introduced and old bills are stripped and replaced with brand-new language, often late at night and voted on the next afternoon. This past week saw new reporting requirements for public schools on how they teach cursive writing and multiplication tables and a new law to automatically enroll students in the next highest mathematics course when they score a top score on the end-of-grade test. The same bill also directed the state superintendent to study uh, ways to reduce testing and report by January 15, 2019. Other changes passed last week barred the Department of Public Instruction from reducing funding for its Office of Charter Schools to meet the $5.1 million in mandated cuts at DPI. Both Superintendent Mark Johnson and the State Board of Education had asked the General Assembly to rescind those cuts, but those requests were denied. State Board Chairman Bill Kobe said he expects significant layoffs at the state's education agency as a result. Even though the state's brand-new innovative school district has yet to operate a single school in the state, the General Assembly passed legislation last week to expand the effort. The program had been capped at five schools to be taken over by charter operators selected by the ISD. Under the new legislation, the ISD can add up to four more schools by 2020. Finally, while while the General Assembly did approve a $3 billion transportation bond for road construction last week, there has been no movement at all on the proposed $1.9 billion school bond bill. As we recently covered on this program, our state's public schools have about $8 billion in school construction and renovation needs. It appears likely that legislators will adjourn without taking action on a school bond. Remember you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and read about each of the headlines as well as the other topics we cover each week. As I said at the top of the show, today's focus is on a proposed amendment to the North Carolina Constitution that would permanently cap the state's personal income tax rate at its current 5.5 percent. What would that mean for North Carolina? And joining us first to discuss, we have two guests. We have, first, we have Dr. Patrick McHugh. Uh, Patrick is an analyst with the Budget and Tax Center. Uh, before joining BTC in 2014, uh, Dr. McHugh was a fiscal analyst at the North Carolina General Assembly, which he, his duties included economic impact modeling and, and tax and appropriation. So he's, he has a lot of insights in that. And actually, next to him is Richard Bostick. Richard is with government relations with the North Carolina School Boards Association. This is a membership association that represents elected school boards across North Carolina, Republican and Democrat. And, and Richard also has uh, many years of experience in, in fiscal analysis and work with the General so, both of you know what you're talking about, so help us understand what we're talking about with this constitutional amendment. Now, I'm going to start with you, Patrick. The idea of capping the state's income tax rate is not a new idea, not, not in North Carolina or n- nationally. I mean, Colorado passed a, a similar measure back in the 90s, a Taxpayer Bill of Rights. I mean, it was, it was broader than what we're talking about here. But it, it, there were some pretty significant impacts in Colorado in terms of their ability to invest. So, I guess, first explain how does capping a personal income tax sort of what does that do to a state or so what, what could the impact be? Well, as you said, you know, it's not a new idea, but it's certainly an
1: idea that's a bad enough idea that most states have seen fit to steer clear of it. Uh, the reality is, as you just mentioned, the, uh, the half of our state revenues, you know, more than half of our state revenues come from the personal income tax. And so if you cap the income tax rate, uh, you're going to be locking in some historically low levels uh, of investment in education, a whole host of other, uh, you know, p- public needs that we have in this state. Uh, when North, when Colorado went down this road, and it's not exactly the same proposal that's on the table here, but it has some similarities. Uh, When they went down this road, they saw their education investments drop from sort of middle of the pack nationwide. Per pupil spending, teacher pay, a uh, variety of those kinds of indicators that, that show what we're investing in education. They went from middle of the pack nationwide to down to the very bottom of the barrel.
2: Right. Well, and get, been, yeah, yep. before,
0: I want to get. I've got a chart that, uh, that 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 you share with with us, and I want to pull it up on the screen. But it's about you're you're talking about the investments. I know it's hard to read on the screen, but it's a lot of a lot of bars. But I think your contention with your analysis of the budget and tax center is that we are at a historic low point in terms of sort of where education funding falls in terms of the size of the economy. Can you explain that a little bit? Well, since 2013, we've been
1: engaging in a raft of continuing ongoing tax cuts both on the personal income tax side and on the corporate income tax side. Most of those benefits have gone predominantly to wealthy North Carolinians and actually, particularly on the corporate side, most of them have actually gone to folks that don't even live in North Carolina. A lot of the benefits of that are flowing to folks that have li- that live outside the state. Uh, And the result of that has been a pretty dramatic decline in the amount of our economic activity that we are channeling into education spending in North Carolina. We have been sort of slowly working down the amount of revenue that we have available. And that's really showing up in classrooms across the state. I mean, I think that's a big part of why. We saw a huge protest, you know, just a few weeks ago here in the state capitol. A lot of folks that work in education, a lot of folks that have children in
0: schools, they're sick of it. They see what's happening on the ground. And and what and and, and I'm gonna and I want to ask you about this, um, Richard, because people, I mean we have seen some investments in education, but it's sort of as a share of it. I I think our viewers understand you represent school boards, they see that at the local level, school boards asking county commissioners for money, more money we just went through that we taped the show here in Wake County, that just happened here. Um, what are your school board, uh, um, school boards uh, concerned about with this uh, type of legislation?
3: Well, we're opposed to the cap because we're afraid in a recession or a cut in federal funding that there will be uh, deeper cuts to education. We saw that in the Great Recession where there were tremendous cuts. If it wasn't for the federal government giving us $380 million in the 2009 and 2010, the cuts would have been tremendously deep. So right now, the local governments spend 26% of the total education budget coming from their sources of funding. That's supposed to be a state responsibility. And
0: that's positions too. We've talked about on the show. It's not right. just buildings. Our locals are paying more and more for teacher's assistance and, and, and teachers. And the
3: public school forum has done a great job in showing how the locals have had to step in and fund a greater share of operating, which again, is a state responsibility. And they're trying to deal with that backlog of capital needs that you mentioned at the opening of the show. And if you're faced with this uh, because of a restriction on the revenue side, then the next recession, you'll see the cuts coming down. And we have 67 low wealth counties that don't have the means and the capacity to raise their taxes to hold harmless for those types of cuts. So it's a real concern.
0: So, I mean, so it's reasonable, I mean, both of you. I mean, it's it's reasonable that if you you shrink the amount coming in, it's going to have to come from somewhere. Either you're going to have to cut it you know, it, the, this investment's going to go down or you're going to raise revenue somewhere else. Um, we have mm-hmm. f- new fees. Um, you know, we're showing some charts now on the screen that shows how much in income tax makes up. I mean, sort of how does that play out?
1: Well, and, you know, we don't have to sort of hypothesize about this. This is what happened in Colorado. You saw you see state legislators and local governments being forced to kick open every couch cushion that they can think of not just when the bad economic times are, you know, the bad economic winds are blowing, but even during normal
0: times. Just base, basic operations. basic, operating, operation, of, per, you know, basic per, per, needs of citizens. Yeah.
1: And so you've seen all kinds of, you know, the sales taxes have, are likely to go up, particularly if we hit a recession. Uh, we saw that in the last recession and that was when we had more revenue coming in from the personal income tax. And that's one of the things, the personal income tax is really volatile when we hit a recession. And so when you're already capping it at a, at a historically low level, you're going to be really searching around to find other revenues to to make up for that. And even some of the folks that are pushing this measure essentially came right out and admitted that that's probably what's going to happen, uh, that we're going to see not just sales taxes and property taxes go up, but fees across the board. I mean, you look at Colorado and the types of fees and things that folks are paying there. It's really, it's really historically unusual.
0: Right. Last word from you, um, Richard. So what is a sort of so what's your message, I guess, both to the General Assembly but also to voters if this comes on? What, what, are, what would you like people to understand?
3: Well, we are seeking a compromise right now. The Constitution says 10 percent. Why go all the way down to 5.5 percent? If you need some middle ground, how about 7.75 or 7.5, which was...
0: That's actually the highest. that's, you know, that's the highest that we've been, right, about 7... Back in
3: 2013, 7, it was, right. was the highest rate was 7.75. Why not give yourself some room during the recession Right now you'll be locking yourself in at 5.5. So if you right. have to make a change this week, you know, try to find some middle
0: ground. Well, we'll see. Uh, middle ground seems to be hard to find on a lot of things these days. So, but we're going to keep watching this, so this won't be the last conversation about us, particularly if we uh, uh, go to a referendum in November. But thank you both for being here today. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with some business leaders about the proposed income tax rate cap. But before we go to break, see if you can answer this question. Including North Carolina, there are 41 states that tax personal income. How many states have amended their state constitution to cap the tax rate? Welcome back to Education Matters. Did you correctly answer B, one? In 2014, uh, the state of Georgia became the first state in the country to cap the state's personal income tax rate by amending its constitution. They capped it actually at 6 percent. Um, Now, we're going to continue our discussion about the proposed constitutional amendment to permanently cap our state's tax rate with two business leaders. They are Vicki Lee Parker. Um, Vicki is the executive director of the North Carolina Business Council, this is a statewide business association. Uh, Your members are very interested in issues such as uh, sustainable economic growth, development and education. So we'll talk a little bit more about your members. Kel Landis. Kel, you are the principal with Plexus Capital, which is a private equity firm. You are, um, I think when I first met you, you were the CEO of Centura, then RBC Centura Bank. So you've been in the, uh, um, the, the very uh, robust banking uh, uh, sector here in North Carolina. So thank you for being here, Kel. All right, Vicky, I want to talk to you first. Um, we know that when businesses consider coming to North Carolina, um, they look at a lot of things, um, quality of public schools for one thing. What are your members, um, um, the, the small, medium, large businesses that are part of your association, what are their concerns or thoughts about something like this?
2: Well, Keith, as you can imagine, there are many. But particularly, we, we look at the education the impact that it will have on funding the education. Uh, our biggest assets for businesses are their workers. And they have, for years, relied on the state to produce skilled workers through our education system. And that's something that they don't shouldn't be burdened to have to worry about. They should be able to appreciate that. They have paid their taxes for that, and they expect to have those workers there. We have seen over the past few years, with the current cuts, that that has eroded and that there is now a struggle to find those skilled workers, and now, with a tax cap, that's only likely to continue. And when you have your greatest asset under jeopardy like this, it really stands to pose a problem with businesses. And we're
0: talking about education. I mean, obviously we're talking about education because this is education matters. is what we talk about on the show. But, I mean, it's not, it's certainly not a a stretch to think that the biggest part of your budget is going to be the one that will be uh, impacted. You are CEO, Mm -hmm. Kel. I mean, you're, um, as a businessman, um, would you want to have um, something like this? when you were trying to run an organization, uh, sort of setting things uh, more permanently in the future? So, What's your thoughts on it? Yeah,
4: well, certainly not. You would not want to have those constraints. And I'm here kind of as a business person, and I do not view this as political or partisan. To me, this is just good common business sense that we would want to have all the revenue sources at our disposal to make sure that we are investing in a prosperous future, because a prosperous future for our state creates a prosperous future for any business that is operating in our state.
0: Right. Now, I mean, your your current uh, role, your firm, you invest in businesses, so I assume that you're very tuned in um, to what businesses need. I mean, it does, you know, there's been some encouraging signs and some investments in North Carolina, um, but we've also seen some programs that support businesses that have been reduced, too, um, you know, because of investments. I guess Sort of state investments in big picture. Um, uh, so what are your thoughts on what things like this sort of constrained revenue sources might have uh, that would affect businesses?
4: Yeah, well, I think the states that are going to win, the ones that are going to have the most success are going to be those that invest in their future. And education ought to be at the top of the list. Infrastructure would be other things as well. But we want to have a high quality of life for people to, to start and grow businesses in North Carolina. And no good business would would say we're not ever going to raise prices or we're going to cap our fees for service, it would be like self-harnessing yourself in a straitjacket and locking it to not have the flexibility to be able to invest in the future, both the opportunities as well as the threats, the unknown. The future is unknown. We want to create the best future we can for North Carolina,
0: and we need to have the most flexible source an option set of revenues. Is that consistent with what your um, the businesses your, your members um, tell you?
2: Absolutely. One of the key things that we're really concerned about is the idea that if we we shortfall our funding from one area, it's going to be taken up in another area. So we're looking at the higher property taxes, higher sales taxes and higher fees. And if our consumers have to pay more, that Ultimately, means less disposable income, and ultimately means less people buying the goods and services that our businesses are offering them. So it's a direct impact on on our bottom line. So we look at this, and again, it's a very serious matter for us. Yes, you know,
0: so as you, you mentioned, I, I hadn't really c- thought about that part of it. We've actually seen that already in the last few years. We have seen pretty significant corporate tax cuts and personal income tax cuts, but there have also seen pretty significant new fees and taxes. There are businesses I assume some of your members that are now being, sales taxes are now included. I mean, uh, autom- automotive services, movie tickets, uh, uh, th- those are the kind of things I would guess that um, uh, your your members will be interested in.
2: Yeah, and in addition to having to pay more, there is more cumbersome on the businesses as well, those who have now to account for the collection of these fees. And, and so it adds even more paperwork for the businesses and makes it more onerous to do business. And it's, it's layered, it's a layered impact on the businesses, how this trickled down to them.
0: KEL, should businesses be um, concerned about this? I mean, should they, should business leaders be talking about this uh, constitutional amendment? Absolutely, and I would reference, again, the study
4: in Colorado, or as a case study. Go read about Colorado and what happened there. I mean, there was an explosion of fees of all types, property tax increases, talks about threats to the state's bond rating, municipalities being forced to borrow money Possibly, sometimes not in a prudent way, to just meet the needs of their of their communities. So, to invest in pre K, K twelve, community colleges, and our fine fine universities, we don't need to be going backwards. We need to be going forward.
0: Right. We've got some. We're showing some some stats on the screen right now about some of the uh, uh, sort of the 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 decline in investment. So, I guess just a final comment from you. Then Um, um, we need to. I guess we, know we need to sort of, we don't need to pass this. I guess is what you're saying. We, we don't want to get this before voters. But if voters, they need to be thinking about the impact on their on their communities, right?
4: Yes, and just thinking about the investments. I mean, when we look at—we have 7,000 less teacher assistants than we did in 2010. We've—we're our investments in tech, school technology, and textbooks and supplies are down 40, 50 percent from the last seven or eight years. I mean, we just cannot underinvest in what creates, as Vicky said the educated workforce that we need
0: to thrive for all businesses. Right, well look, where this, is, um, uh, this is an important topic. By the time this show airs, there'll be some, probably some movement in the legislature on it one way or the other, but then it may be on the ballot in November, we'll see. But we're gonna continue these conversations uh, over the next uh, few weeks and months. But I appreciate your insights from a business perspective. Thanks for joining us. Thank
2: you for having Thank me. Thank you.
0: After the break, this week's Leadership Spotlight. Each week, Education Matters spotlights individuals demonstrating exceptional leadership in education in North Carolina based on nominations from you, our viewers. This week, we spotlight Dan Schnitzer from Chapel Hill Carrboro Schools. Leadership Spotlight is brought to you by Participate, where we believe every student deserves equitable access to quality education.
5: Schools play an integral role in not only teaching sustainability, but implementing sustainability. Our school district has uh, over 2 million square feet and hundreds of acres of land. Uh, So we have a real opportunity to be a positive influence. So we do a lot of work in sustainability in our district. an administrative end on energy management uh, that not only has a positive environmental impact but every dollar that we're able to save on utilities we can bring back into the classroom and into educating and one of the really fun experiences that i have is to be able to tie that into student education one of the things we do whenever we use led lights is bring in a pedal power generator uh, where the kids actually use their physical strength and their physical energy to power up an incandescent a fluorescent and an led light and they can feel the difference. When we talk about energy savings, it's a concept, it's a philosophy, maybe best case scenario shows up on an energy bill, but when you're the one actually producing the energy, you can really get a sense of what that means to save energy. And we can tie that into science lessons on uh, potential energy, kinetic energy, mechanical energy, and then into electrical energy. We can talk about economics. So yeah, the the LED bulb costs more. Let's mark that on a graph of where it costs, and then let's mark where an incandescent light bulb costs and let's see how much it costs to operate and where those lines intersect and what that point means and what the different areas on the graph means. We do a lot of worm composting um, with students. So all of our cafeterias uh, compost their food waste. We've diverted over 800,000 pounds in three years. It will cross a million pounds this year. And we've got 12,000 students every day that are diverting their food waste. And so to really understand what that process is, I'll go around with my worm bin and students will get to look at worms and analyze them, and it could be in the context of habitats, it could be in the context of life cycles, it could be in the context of soil science or of composting itself. Uh, And through that, they're able to understand that when they put their food waste and their compostable trays in the green bin, that the process has just started. All the gardens that we do, I always make sure if we're doing it in boxes that there's one box that doesn't get planted in, and the reason for that is because kids like to just dig in the dirt. And even when we have gardens, so many adults want to say, like, no, don't dig in there. We put the vegetables in there, Uh, but let's let kids dig in there. I think we have the real opportunity with the youngest students to start them off on this path in the right way, but I also really love engaging with the older students that maybe have started to drift from their relationship with nature. As humans, over time, we see technology and we see progress as a way of separating out from nature but I don't think as humans, we ever lose our general instincts towards nature. And part of this work is reconnecting that.
0: If you know someone that deserves to be recognized, please visit our website, ncforum.org and click on education matters. And you'll find a link to nominate someone in your community. After the break, this week's final word. Legislative proposals to permanently enshrine tax cuts and state spending caps in the state's constitution have been floating around the North Carolina General Assembly since the current Republican majority took over in 2011. These proposals have ranged from so-called Taxpayer Bill of Rights that would both cap spending and limit tax rates based on population and growth only. Other versions, like the Senate Bill 75, now being debated, focuses primarily on tax rates. But all the versions have at their core the same concept, enshrine political policy choices into the state constitution so that it is difficult, if not impossible, for future duly elected legislatures to change it. Think about that and ask yourself why, and why now? You heard the concerns voiced today from economic analysts, education groups, and business leaders. The future is unpredictable, and we elect our state leaders to make the best decisions at the time based on the conditions at that time. Setting aside doomsday scenarios, like another great recession or some natural disaster, how about just meeting today's needs in an area like education? The sense that a proposal to cap income and most stable for our state will have an impact on our ability to fund schools. Legislators already say there's not enough revenue to pay our teachers what they deserve, to adequately fund classroom supplies, to boost school security, or add much-needed school nurses and counselors. And how about the tens of thousands of North Carolinian ch- North Carolina children who don't have access to quality early education? We're not meeting those needs. Now. Permanently tying the hands of future legislatures will lock in this underfunding permanently. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next week.